Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by The Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Today is a very exciting day for Tapping Into the Human. I am honored to have on David Poses, who is a writer, speaker, and activist. The author of The Weight of Air, David's story exposes the danger in traditional recovery models. After hiding his struggle with depression and opioids for about 20 years, he started opening up and challenging conventional addiction wisdom. So David, super happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. So I uh, absolutely love the, the Way to Air, which is your book. Um, I'm actually, I love writing. I'm not a huge reader and I read it in a matter of three days, which I was like, that might've been a record for me. So obviously really enjoyed it. Um, it was remarkably brave. Like I can't imagine publishing a full on memoir about the good, the bad, the ugly. What really inspired you and gave you the courage to be able to kind of write this book? Um, you know, it's funny you should say that because um, I feel like it's the opposite of, of courage and brave. I mean, I kept this all, you know, nobody knew about any of this stuff um, until, you know, two years ago. Um, not my wife, my family, you know, like zero people. Um, right. Everybody, I led everybody to believe that I stopped um, using heroin at 18 and never looked back. So, um, you know, that that means... Everybody was aware of the drugs in the first paragraph of the book, right? <laughs> but nothing after. <laughs> um, so I mean, you know, I um, I would like I'm aware of the news, and I, and I saw as you know, opioid crisis started occupying more headlines, and I always knew that I wasn't the exception. I mean, my family always thought like, you know, oh, uh, you know, people who use heroin are like, you know, homeless Vietnam veterans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the special case of a non, you know, murderous crazy. Um, so, you know, I knew that and I and I'd never met a stereotypical junkie in my life, but I knew a ton of people who, you know, struggled with, with opioid addiction. Um, and as the crisis started occupying more news headlines and all the, you know, OxyContin stuff came out and I would see it and, and I just thought like, you know, we were so primed for this crisis, you know, I mean, it was just the exact right convergence of events. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people were dying and, and I'd lost, um, you know, more than a few people to overdose. And I just, I started to feel like I'm, you know, my fear of sharing this with anybody, um, I'm like actively sabotaging all of the things that I feel like I would need to see in order to out myself. Mm. Um, and so if I'm doing that, then I can't expect anybody else to, um, you know, open the door for me. So, you know, I had read um, a bunch of, of uh, drug and depression memoirs and I felt like, um, you know, I mean, I don't want to say like I'm you know, better and different than everybody else, but like, you know, this this story hadn't really been told before. And it's the most common story. Like there's nothing extraordinary about this book. Um, and that's what makes it different. <laughs> so, right. Um, <laughs> no, I get what you're saying, because it, it it is a story that I'm sure so many, unfortunately, tens of thousands of Americans, people all over yeah. around the world are dealing with. 
but it it does take a certain type of bravery to kind of put yourself out there and then you know for the next person to be able to sort of read that and open and be like okay like I'm not alone so um yeah, I mean you know it's nice of you to say but I, I, I still have I'm gonna have to disagree um okay. no, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know like I it, it I think it required a lot of of you know I wrote it thinking I'm gonna like I couldn't bring myself to tell my wife this stuff I was terrified um, you know, I, I felt like even if she's understanding, like I still lied to her, we've been married for 18 years, you know, so, um, you know, I, I eventually just, like, I felt like I, I had to do it. Um, and it really wasn't a choice. And so the idea was, you know, I'm going to write this book, I'm going to give it to my wife and hope that she doesn't kick me out. Um, and, uh, you know, so that certainly requires some bravery, um, the audience of one, but, um, I mean, she was so just understanding and compassionate and i you know really in retrospect i'm not the least bit surprised but you know i'm still very uh, aware of how fortunate i am and um you know it, it just kind of everything um after that like it was it was almost too easy the way that like i i found an agent and you know i queried one publisher and you know it, things just happened really fast yeah, no, that that's great. I, I think obviously it's so important that you have someone in your life who's who's loving and accepting. And I think that's, you know, the challenge and, and sort of my background is I knew absolutely nothing about addiction, not the first thing. Um, and my best friend passed away from an overdose six or seven months ago in January. And I had to sort of learn like, you know, the importance of, hey, I wanted to understand what was she dealing with? Like, how could I not know? And I can only imagine, you know, and, and now after six, seven months of intensive education, realizing what stigma comes with something that is just, it's, it stinks. Like, frankly, like that's just, it, it really, it does. And I think it's so important that people close to, you know, someone who's suffering is able to be there and support and just, you know, accept you for who you are. I think at the end of the day, we're all humans and, and that's what it's about. So, yeah, we are. I mean, and, you know, and when you look at so many of the, the stereotypes and the things that contribute to the stigma, it's like, you know, I mean, people say, you know, you can't trust uh, people who, you know, drug users, they're all a bunch of liars and whatever. And it's like, you know, I lied because I was ashamed of what I was doing. So, you know, I would tell you the truth if you asked me, you know, did you walk the dog or what you have for breakfast? Right, right, right. Than, you know, so I think probably most people, if not everyone, has done something they were ashamed of and lied about it. For um, sure. And they know that that doesn't, you know, we shouldn't extrapolate that to mean they can't be trusted exactly. you know, about anything. And and even with, um, you know, like when I started, I started using heroin in the early 90s. Um, I, you know, I didn't know what an opioid was. I just knew that heroin was this thing and I liked it. Or maybe feel you know like I could live, um, but you know so many people think like nobody can function on heroin and it's this crazy hardcore drug. I mean you know I don't I I, I got drunk once in my life um, when I was 15. I smoked pot a few times like that made me intoxicated. I mm. couldn't possibly function on that. And we know in you know just as people that like okay heroin is an opioid. There are much more powerful opioids that doctors prescribe to people every day. Nobody ever thinks like, well, you know, grandma's on morphine. You can't trust her. She's going to steal your VCR. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also we know that when, when um, you know, these drugs are prescribed to people, they not only can function on them, they need them specifically to function. Right. So like, we all know that like, you can't wake up at seven in the morning and start guzzling down vodka and do anything. And we would smell it on you. The reason we think you can't function on heroin is because I'm, people like me don't go around saying, hello, I'm on heroin. I think you should right. know that because I'm no, breaking the law. No, that's a good point. No, that's yeah. a good point. And 
speaking about the alcohol, one thing that really stuck with me from The Weight of Air, how is you talked about the double standard, right, of alcohol versus other drugs, saying that alcohol isn't legal because it's safe. Alcohol is safer because it's legal. Obviously, I definitely agree. There's, there's no, uh, you know, if you go get trashed with your friends, that's cool. There's no some sort of moral weakness. Can you expand on sort of that statement and, and your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I... Um... I mean, I, I never got drunk again um, after that one time because I hated it so much. So I, I'm admittedly very, very biased against alcohol, um, you know, for no reason that I just don't like the way it makes me feel. Right. Um, but as I started learning about it, you know, I, I understood um, the dangers of heroin um, early on, but it wasn't until, you know, kind of later that I realized, you know, I thought I was being so careful with like the um, you know, clean needles and all that, but like, you don't actually know what you're buying. And, right. and that's really the danger. Like opioids have been around longer than written language. And, you know, when they're legal, less people die. And alcohol during prohibition, like overdose fatalities skyrocketed. I mean, medical examiners were totally right. overwhelmed because, you know, people were fermenting wood furniture and, you know, whatever. And so if you like, you know, if, if there's two pint glasses in front of you um, and one of them is methanol or, you know, grain alcohol and the other one is hard seltzer, like, you know, you could, I mean, I assume you could drink a pint of hard seltzer. And, I mean, I would die of alcohol poisoning, but, um, you know, it would be, you wouldn't die, right? But if you can't drink, you know, 35 pints uh, in, in one go, like, that's a massive problem. So knowing which one is which is very useful. Like, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, it should so, be. <laughs> it, it should be. But so that's the same like heroin overdose isn't happening because people are going out and saying, hello, Mr. Drug dealer, you know, sell me the fentanyl that's going to kill me as quickly as possible. Like, that's what I want. Um, you know, it's because they don't know what they're getting. There's no way to know. I mean, alcohol bottles have all the warnings on it and the ABV percentages and, and you know, it's regulated and it's consistent and all that. Like you get a little stamp on a bag of heroin. Um, Alcohol, so that's, you know, alcohol can kill you by overdose, obviously, so can heroin or opioids. Um, they can shut down your central nervous system. Alcohol can shut down every organ in your body. That's at least one additional, you know, right. way to kill you. Um, and, you know, heroin withdrawal uh, or any kind of opioid withdrawal is, is brutal, um, no question. And there are, were certainly moments that I wished that, you know, would just kill me, um, but it doesn't kill you. Alcohol is so addictive that yep. it, is, it is very fatal um, in withdrawal. And I don't so, think a lot of people realize that. Even I, I you know, uh, six months ago had no clue, and I've been doing a lot of education and realizing there is a huge double standard, as you pointed out in your book, and you can literally die from alcohol withdrawal. You can literally die um, in withdrawal. I mean, alcohol, like if, if you add up the ways that alcohol can kill you, it, I mean, it's, it's, you know, hundreds of ways more right. than all other drugs combined can kill you. Um, and so it, it, it just, it seems to me that like, if this wasn't such a moral issue, it would be a no brainer. I mean, overdose is an overly potent dose, right? Accidental is preventable. So if potency is unknown of the dose, you can't prevent over, you, you just can't. Right. Um, but, you know, the same way that you will avoid the methanol by knowing what's in what glass, like, it's that simple with alcohol. So imagine how much simpler it is with a drug that has infinitely less ways of killing you. Like it's that much 
Um, right. you know, there's no question they're dangerous, but like the, the people that, that talk about, I mean, at least everybody I know who doesn't want to legalize and regulate drugs, you ask them why, and they say, well, you know, more people are going to use drugs and that would be terrible. And, you know, if meth and heroin were legal, like we can't have that. Okay, fine. Um, you know, did you buy beer at the gas station uh, every time you fill up with gas? No. Did you, you know, well, why not? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad example. I mean, do you know anybody who did? No, nobody buys gas. Nobody buys beer every time they gas. Okay, so fine. Then, then you must be psyched about the idea of meth and heroin being legal, right? No, I wouldn't use it. Well, do you know anybody? No, 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 no. You know, so it's all these no's. All said. Right. So, so you know, they actively debunk their own theory, and then, <laughs> you know, in mid-conversation, and then you explain to them that the overwhelming majority of overdose fatalities involve illicit drugs because potency is unknown. Um, and so, you know, would you agree that our toxic illicit supply is safer than the regulated legal drugs that are not killing people? Um, yes, uh, you know, obviously legal regulation. So your argument is, I think more people will use drugs even though I know that that's not true. I know that less people will die. Uh, you know, your worst case scenario is like complete fucking bullshit. Uh, compared to like, there's nothing worse than than what's going on. I mean, it, it's crazy to me. No, I um, agree. Yeah, but people. I mean, you know, my, like my, I think my mom um, is a pretty good, you know, yardstick for uh, America at large. And I mean, I have like, you can't say drugs without like people a negative just connotation. Lose. Yeah, they just right. they, they they lose their minds. And I think something that makes um, my argument, I think a little bit credible is, you know, you used to hear all the like, dude, it's just weed, you know, I shouldn't get arrested for, and, and that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but like, I'm not screaming about this stuff because I don't want to get arrested for smoking weed. Like it's, it's not about using drugs. I mean, I have two kids. I hope they don't use drugs. I tell them not to use drugs. Um, I know that I can't stop them from using drugs. And if they're going to use drugs, I would prefer that they don't die. <laughs> um, right. Simple. You know, yeah, it's, it's that simple. And I think people look at, at the argument as like, you know, should we legalize drugs? And what they hear is, do you want more people to use drugs? And really what they need to hear is, do you want less people to die? Exactly. It, it's the perspective and framing of the question. No, I think that that's really good. No, and it's interesting, you, you know, you mentioned your mom um, and, and your kids as well. How was the reaction when you told your mom, like, that must have been pretty wild for her, you know, the whole time thinking, hey, you know, yeah. you've been abstinent from, you know, any drugs for a long time. How was that conversation? Um, it was hard. Um, I uh, I told Andrea, um, my wife, um, right. like almost a year before I told my mom. Okay. And it, it dragged on um, forever. And I wrote this article um, that the LA Times picked up. And so I knew like, I have to tell her it's going to get out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause the, I mean, the article, you know, laid everything out. Um, it was an op-ed. And so the night before the article um, ran, I, I, um, I gave, I gave her the book uh, and she was devastated. Um, right. You know, I mean, she was not angry. Um, she was really just, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. I can't them, imagine it either. You know, yeah. So, you know, so happy that I was alive and grateful that none of the awful things that could have happened, you know, I mean, she's thinking, well, he was, you know, I mean, I was, I was, by the time I was 18, it was like, uh, you know, it was almost 19. So it was almost three years, but I told her that it was six months. 
So she's going into this thinking he was on heroin for six months and then she finds out it was 16 years. Like that's a huge difference. Yeah, that's, that's a big Delta. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so she, I mean, she was really, um, amazing about it. Uh, she, she gave me, um, the next time I saw her a few days later, she, um, bought this pen, um, this like really, you know, fancy pen and she gave it to me. And, you know, I mean, nobody had seen the book at that, like maybe five people in the world. I, I don't know any literary agents or publishers. Like this is so far from a done deal. Um, and she gave me the pen for like book signings, like, Aw, no that's doubt. so cool. Yeah. That's really um, awesome. Yeah. So, um, and I mean, you know, it was, it felt really good to sign a book with that pen. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, uh, that was hard. And, you know, she's, um, she had been totally brainwashed by Hazelden. And so over the years, you know, she knows that I don't drink. Um, so she's not worried about that kind of thing. But like, you know, I'll take uh, Claritin for, you know, allergies. Yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. And she kind of freaks out about that. Really? You know? Yeah, I guess she's just like nervous wanting you to be a-okay, yeah. not necessarily understanding. Yeah. Right. So when once she, you know, the, the, the Claritin fears really intensified um, after the book. And, you know, since then, like she's, um, she's much more educated now than, cool. you know, I think probably the average mom, but it's, it's scary how easy it is for her to fall back into, mm. um, you know, that, that thing. Sort I mean, of old, old pattern of yeah. Yeah, thinking. And, and I, I can definitely relate to that too. Like I, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So if you're not actively engaging with the community and, you know, before my best friend Reed, I didn't know anyone who, who, you know, used drugs, had negative connotation. Right. Yeah. I'm, I have now, because I started this nonprofit tackling stigma and, and sharing stories, I've had so many people reach out to me saying, hey, you know, this is amazing, you know, either me or a family member or this is so good. I didn't know anyone. Now I know it's like normal. Like it's just it's so important that we get these stories out there. So kind yeah. of people like me who are on the sidelines who just have sort of a negative connotation if you just take the five minutes to sort of, you know, get the baseline education, it's not all that scary. They're not the other, and it's not as blown out of proportion as it's sort of made to be. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think it's really extraordinary what you're doing. Um, I mean, you don't hear that. You, you, you don't hear very often the way that, you know, I think most people's reaction, I mean, I, I know tons of people who um, their families think that they're the exception too, you know? Right. Um, and, and, you know, so, it, there, it, it's very different between like, oh, you know, my kid's the exception, everybody else is a scumbag, I don't have to think about it, to starting a nonprofit. I mean, like, that's that's a major, you know, yeah. It's yeah. And I still get, you know, imposter syndrome because I'm, I'm still trying to catch up to people who've, you know, been in the community for 20 some odd years, but I really felt like it was people like me who just don't know anything, who are, as you said, contributing to the stigma, yeah. Reed wasn't ashamed because of herself. She was feeling guilty and ashamed because of how everyone else in society made her feel, right? So we got to pull the me's into the conversation, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know, interesting, like I'm learning about, you know, um, buprenorphine and, and I know that you're on that and I would love you to talk about that because I think there has been um, a preconceived notion that you're just kind of trading one drug for another, and I had heard that before I understood addiction. So I'm like, oh yeah, like why would, oh, that's not much better. Right. Now, five mm -hmm. months later, I'm like, what? 
how do how do regular average people think you're just trading one for the other? So can you sort of explain what buprenorphine is? There's a lot of people listening to this podcast who have no clue what it is. Sure. Um, okay, so it's a partial opioid agonist. Um, the minute you say opioid, everybody assumes it's uh, you know fentanyl or oxycontin. It's terrible. So partial agonist means um, you know opioids plug into your opiate receptors. It doesn't quite fit as tightly, so it doesn't have the same. Um, you know, it's it's like a low grade. Uh, I guess the best way to put it is um, maybe you know ask for it after your next hip replacement surgery, and you'll find out how strong it is um, or how weak it is. I guess I should say. Um, but for somebody like me or anybody who um, you know is is has um, opiate receptors multiply with each dose, and that's whether you have been using them illegally, uh, you know, for for emotional pain or your doctor prescribed them for some very serious, uh, you know, physical malady. Opioids don't know what kind of pain you're killing. Um, or if you have a prescription, they just, you know, multiply your receptors. Right. So, um, and there's been a ton of studies done. Uh, I mean, it's been, you know, proven a million times that, um, you know, other addictions, uh, they say, you know, sobriety gets easier with time. Opioids are the only, um, you know, drug that has a natural target in your brain with your opiate receptors. So when you stop drinking, gambling, you know, sleeping with hookers, uh, crack, what, like any, literally everything else, um, you know, the, re the receptors can heal and that's fine. There, there are studies of, you know, 50 years out, even longer, um, that they had, the, the, you know, the neuroplasticity just doesn't come back together. And so sobriety just doesn't get easier with time. Your receptors never, you know, shrink down. So, um, you know, for, it's like a warm blanket, um, that says, Hey, everything's okay. And when you think about the fact that like, um, you know, people who use opioids, I mean, uh, there's some really frightening statistic that like 95% of, um, of opioid users uh, have some kind of mental health disorder, you know? So, I mean, right. look, opioids, opiate receptors regulate your, um, you know, physical pain and emotional well-being. Uh, so it certainly stands to read, you know, people, when you assume bad people use drugs, like you should be thinking, well, people who are in pain are using painkillers and, right. you know, look, emotional pain is excruciating. It doesn't look like, you know, a broken leg, but, um, uh, you know, cause we hide it. Um, but so, so it, it lifts my, um, you know, base level depression to a level that I can tolerate heroin, um, was really overkill for me. You know, um, and it so happened that, you know, that, that's what I had and I liked it and, you know, it felt good and that's great. But um, I don't need that much horsepower for the kind of depression that I have. And, you know, feelings get through like I'm certainly not numb. I mean, I'm on it right now. I don't think I'm like nodding off and drooling, but, you know, you'll tell me um, I'm, I'm definitely very tired, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm with you on that. Yeah, um, I, I had more coffee than usual today, so I'm also a little bit like that. But um, anyway, so um, you know, so so it it um, it makes everything okay, and you can function. And I, um, you know, my recovery couldn't start without buprenorphine. Um, when I, you know, I I needed heroin because I felt like I was you know drowning in the middle of the ocean. So. The idea of, you know, oh, just sober up and, and, and recover. It's like when you're drowning, it's very hard to concentrate on anything else. Right, right. So buprenorphine was like a lifeboat. And once I'm in there and the blanket's wrapped around me and I'm not worried about drowning anymore, 
it's much easier to unpack your emotional baggage that led to the heroin in the first place. Right. Um, you know, so, uh, so I started uh, taking it in, in 2008. Um, we definitely live in this society of, you know, abstinence is the only way. And, you know, you can't ever go near that again. Um, that is complete. I mean, it's, it's not only stupid, it's actually very, very irresponsible. There's, um, there's been a lot of studies lately in JAMA about, um, you know, buprenorphine, uh, reduces the risk of overdose, relapse, and death by as much as 79%. Faith and abstinence-based treatment uh, increases the risks in equally dramatic fashion. So there was a, um, something came out, I think in February, that basically said, um, if your kid is on uh, opioids and you do absolutely nothing except get some Narcan, and ask them to please tell you when they're going to use or don't use alone because it's very fucking dangerous and we have Narcan and we don't want you to die. Um, your kid has like a, a like a 70 something percent chance of being alive in six months, right? Um, if you send them to the best uh, traditional inpatient um, faith and abstinence treatment place, mm -hmm. they have a 70 something percent chance of dying no, it's not that high. It's like 60 something percent. Um, 40, 48 hours, within 48 hours of leaving. Yeah, it's crazy. It right. really is crazy. It, it is, but the thing about it, I mean, you know, I, I say that to people and they're like, that can't possibly be true. Like, who wants to tell their kid to do drugs and, you know, whatever. And it's like, you're missing the point. It's not tell your kid to do drugs. It's do you want your kid to live or do you want your kid to die? Because if, you know, I understand that it's counterintuitive to you. But do you want your kid to live or die? Because if you want them to die, send them to rehab. I mean, it's that simple. Like, this is what the, the research shows. Like, read it. You'll see. If you still decide that, like, that can't possibly be true because these doctors and science nerds know less than the, you know, AA people that, like, have absolutely no fucking science behind it, you know, roll the dice and, and see what happens. I mean, but that's really just, it's it's reckless. And, you know, there's so much, I mean, back to the, you know, the, the stigma and the stereotypes, like, it, it's another one of those things that, like, we have these preconceived notions that like that can't possibly be true. You know, this is not true. We can debunk them all, you know, in our everyday life. And yet somehow when faced with them, we're like, no way that's, you know, impossible. I mean, and, and even the things they were like harm reduction, you know, if we weren't talking about drugs, who in their right mind has a problem with harm reduction? You know, it's like hundred percent falling off your bike. Uh, you know, if you don't have a helmet on you you might get injured. So bikes are dangerous. We're nobody should have a bike helmet that would just be crazy because we're going to be encouraging bike use and like you know i had the <laughs> plastic things and the uh, electrical outlets when my kids were babies like i'm pretty sure that didn't make them feel like we wanted them to electrocute themselves right um you know but it did keep them safe so, like who who's gonna say um don't put those things in your electric sockets that's you know that's crazy like why would you do that right um, no and i think i think you've outlined some really good examples of when you dumb it down and you you can just take away all those arguments, right? Like you literally just think about think about the science and let's just dumb this down. Let's take something really emotional, right? Because people are very passionate about this topic. Let's take the the controversy away. Let's dumb it down and you'll see it's it's not what what other people might be doing is is crazy. And you know, you talking about kind of traditional um, methods of of you know treatment. I've been doing a lot of research and as a person who knew nothing about addiction, the only way that I thought that you could be in recovery is the 12 steps. Yeah. So, nope. and, it, it, and obviously I've since learned there is not only that, there are so many other alternatives. And I think it's really important for people to know 
Yes. That is not the only way. That it's, works for some people, and that's great, but there are many different options. There, there are. And I mean, you know, I know some people who AA works for, they all happen to be um, alcoholics. And, you know, and I think it works for them because um, the kind of things that they did on alcohol, I mean, these are people who like got into bar fights and drove their cars into trees and, you know, beat up whoever they were with at the time. Um, so a lot of the behavioral, you know, a pilot making amends and, you know, all that kind of business, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, the idea that like, um, you know, medically assisted treatment, we know that that works. And so suggesting that like, um, you know, these, when, when somebody without medical credentials pushes a magical thinking cure um, for a medical condition, we call that quack medicine. Like that's, that is the def, like if you look up quack medicine, like that's what it says, right? So um, if we were talking about anything other than addiction, that would be crazy. Like everybody would say that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, no, I mean, like if my mom, you know, ha when she had cancer, like she joined a support group and that was great, but I'm, I'm quite certain that it was the chemotherapy and the surgery that saved her life. Um, you know, a doctor would have to be out of his mind to suggest you know, otherwise. And, um, and so, you know, we just, we accept that. So I try to tell people like, if you cross drugs out, you cross out addiction and you swap it with medical condition or, um, you know, like with the, with the needle exchanges and the safe consumption sites, I mean, in the history of the world, every safe consumption site that's ever existed everywhere from the dawn of time, a hundred percent of them ever, nobody has ever died in one. Right. Ever. Right? right. So that's a pretty compelling reason to have them. For sure. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's not like, well, people die on them all the time. Like people have never died in them ever. Um, and so there's people that are going like, we don't need those things. Like that's really stupid. Okay. So the leading cause of death is overdose. These guys have a hundred percent record. We have this abysmal record, right? That makes sense. And like the, the needle exchanges, I mean, you know, clean needles, um, they, they slow the spread of disease and they, and they save lives. And the idea, like if, if, um, you know, if clean needles, clean needles don't make somebody start using drugs and the lack of a lack of clean needles don't make anybody stop using drugs. And, you know, um, there are clean needles all over hospitals. And I'm pretty sure that every doctor and nurse is not, uh, on drugs because there were clean needles around. So it's like, you know, we, we can read this information very easily. We know all of this stuff and, and yet people are still going like, nah, I don't know about that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're fighting common sense, really. Um, they're fighting, yeah, they're fighting. They're fi and and the, I mean, the other thing is that like the reason that we need needle exchanges is because they're criminalized. Make them legal, you don't need those. The reason we need the safe consumption sites is because we don't know what we're sticking in our arms because drugs are legal. Make drugs legal, you don't need those. The methadone clinics that we have a massive problem with. Methadone is in pharmacies. Your doctor can prescribe methadone for any kind of physical malady, no problem. You go to the drugstore, they will give it to you, you take it home. If that same doctor prescribes that same person methadone for addiction, you are not going to get it at the pharmacy. You just won't. It's the same methadone on the same shelf, same doctor. Like nothing is different about the situation except what they're prescribing it for. So you have to go to this methadone clinic. Oh, I don't want a methadone clinic in my neighborhood. Like those scumbags hanging out there and, you know, they've got their needles all over the place. They throw their needles all over the place because if they get caught with them, they're going to jail. Why don't you stop criminalizing them? And maybe they'll stop dumping them all over the place. I mean, it, like this stuff is, um, it, it's, it's insane to me that anybody could look at it any other way. And when somebody 
says that like I'm crazy for saying this stuff. It's like this, <laughs> like I, I, this couldn't be more. Um, you know, I, I, none of, nothing. What I say is opinion. Like these are facts. And right, right, right. And it's not facts like that are you know a little bit ambiguous. Like zero deaths is zero deaths is zero deaths. Zero and I was gonna say ab about that, like. I, I'm sure you've gotten as deserves so much love and support and a lot of people like you, you know, who you've opened their eyes. I'm sure you've got people who are probably still fighting you and being like, this is BS what you're saying. Like, have you had those people be like, you're not speaking facts or, or has the majority of people been like, Oh, like, yes. You know, um, it's, it's funny. You should say that. Um, we, uh, we hired this like PR firm, um, you know, long before the book came out and, um, in our, one of the first meetings, they were saying like, you know, this is going to be really rough because you're telling a story that, you know, it's, it's not out there. So you're going to get attacked. You're lambasting the most successful mm. treatment paradigm anywhere. Right. So you're going to piss those people off. You're talking about legalizing drugs. You're going to piss those people off. Like there's nothing you're saying that anybody's going to, <laughs> anybody's going to agree with. Nobody. A PR like, yeah. firm was like, "This is probably a nightmare." Yeah, no, they they said that they were like, "You need to be really damn sure that you have very thick skin and you know whatever." So they warned me. Um, and they did that called, did that make you more scared to want to publish it, or you didn't really care? No, it 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 scared me, but I knew you know I think no, I think I knew that I was right. Mm. So I knew that if somebody wants to tell me like you know this is crazy and you're wrong, whatever, like I can okay, go ahead prove this stuff. You know that's yeah. fine. So one of the first interviews um, they got was with, um, you know, Recovery Magazine, which is like, a, um, you know, pro uh, or, or anti uh, pro drug war, pro abstinence. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a very you know it's, it's like that. And so when um, and and I was prepared for you know just to get killed. Okay. And I went in and I talked to the editor a little bit before. Um, you know, the interview and, and he was saying, you know, look, I, I, I've been hearing this stuff forever, like, you know, legalized drugs and, you know, you don't have to be absent and all, you know, all this crap. Um, and we've never interviewed anybody with any of these positions individually. So like the fact that you're like the antichrist, <laughs> yeah. sense for us. Right. Um, but you know, the other thing is like, I can't argue with anything you're saying. Hey, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it, it was a great little write up, uh, and, ah, and that, you know, and that's really cool. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm finding that, um, after a few of those, like that I would go in with such trepidation and then I found, um, I, I mean, it's really like in any interview that I had pushback or expected pushback, the person always reversed course or mm. surprised me and didn't attack at all, um, which was really amazing. I got a lot of, um, uh, you know, like in, on, on Twitter or Instagram, like people would send direct messages of like, you know, you should have jumped off a roof because, you know, whatever, like I, I certainly got a lot of that stuff. And those were the people that I, you know, preaching to the choir is very, very easy. Like you're not arguing with me and, that, and that's fine. And I'm grateful for that. But, you know, like I'm really interested in talking to somebody who thinks I'm crazy. Mm. Um, so when I get those, I, I engage hundred percent of the time. And I, I found, um, surprisingly that more often than not, they come back and say, you're right. Um, and you know, apologize even, uh, and that's like, I, I couldn't do this if that didn't happen.
you yeah. know, because yeah. the, the people who already know it don't. Right. No, you don't need like a, a just a voiceover. You want to be able to reach people who either yeah. disagree with you or I think with this podcast, reach people who just have stigmatized views only because they're just still learning. Like yes. I'm still learning in a part of this process too. Yeah, so. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy to be here and this is very Oh important. no, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like the, the, the like steadfast, you know, like anti, well, like, no, this is not what we should be doing. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are the ones that, that I feel like I really need to dig in hard. And, and I've been just shocked at the reception. And even, you know, like I knew that my story wasn't um, the exception that, you know, it, it was relatable, but I really was not prepared for um, the, just the flood of of messages um, from from people saying, you know, like I can I can relate to like every bit of this story, and you know, here's what happened, um, and it's it's really just been amazing to um, to you know that that valid that validation means. I was going to say it must be rewarding to know you know you're you're changing minds of of people who you know hold a very different view than yours, and I think yeah. I mean that must be really cool to know that kind you kind of you pour your heart and soul out into something that was arguably one of the most terrifying things in my opinion and to know that you're you know reaching people and then reaching extra people who were probably against with what you're saying so yeah, that must be really cool it, it really is i mean you know and and especially i mean i you know i was in private equity for 20 years um i mean i was a you know guy in a suit that went to some job and um you know whatever and, and nobody knew this stuff. like the the absolute last thing that i needed was to like explode like put you know dynamite on my life and and you know lose everything um so you know i i needed to feel like this was gonna do something um you know help somebody somewhere and and i don't mean that, in that you know if i could just reach one person that would be great like i needed to reach millions of people or else this wouldn't be worth it um i haven't reached millions of people but um th the response has been so um encouraging i mean it's really you know I, I i have moments where i think like this this isn't going to work you know like nobody's ready to you know make these moves or be accepting or you know embrace it on such a large scale but like if if i let that discourage me like i, I i'd be done i mean there's would just be no like it would be so sisyphusian and, and just you know right yeah no 100 percent I was going to say, I mean, we, we could sit here and talk for hours. I, I love chatting with you. I think this is really cool stuff. But I was going to say, let's end it off. What is your, what words of wisdom do you have to, to share with the audience? I know you have a lot of good stuff. What would you, you know, end off words of wisdom? God, I shouldn't have wasted all that wisdom before. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, um, I would say uh, I had this conversation with, with a parent recently. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is the wisest wisdom in the world, but um, I, I thought it made a lot of sense and people needed to hear it. Um, so she was saying, you know, I'm, I'm just so sick of like the, you know, the, he, he wants to be treated like, oh, you poor baby. And, you know, the, he's hurt us and this is terrible. And, you know, and, and I feel like the pendulum has swung a little bit in the, you know, like there, there's something to be said for accountability, no question. And like, if your kid is stealing from you, like, that's not cool. And I understand that you're pissed and you should be. But, um, so she was saying like, why won't he just be honest with me? Like, we just want to, you know, whatever. And it's like, do you hear the way you sound when you're talking about drugs? Mm. Do you think maybe you know why he's hiding it from you, you know? Yeah. Maybe you want to listen. And um, and that's really, um, you know, I think that's so important. Like, like, I mean, when people say like, you know, what would you say to somebody with this? I'm like, I would listen. I mean, there's nothing to say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so. 
But no, I so appreciate the time, David. It's been really, really great to, to chat with you. And it, it's cool, right? Like being able to read a book and then being able to speak to the person, that, that's really neat. So, Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following The Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.